It's so good to be here with you. I'm excited about the good news I get to share with you this morning. My wife reminds me from time to time when I get these opportunities to preach that if you don't have any good news, you don't have anything to say. And um, so I'm going to try to make sure what you hear today is good news straight from, uh, from our God. Before we do that, I want to recognize some special people that are here today. They're smaller. They are roughly, um, what, four years old all the way up to fifth grade. If you fall in that category, stand up for me. I wanna, we want to recognize you guys as you're here. Stand up real tall, tall as you can. Yes, we're glad. Woo, give them a hand. That's right. Stay standing, stay standing right there. Now, we're glad you're with us today. We want to have some fun getting started, okay? And this is it. There happen to be some really cool places around here, really historical places. And I want you to stand up until I name a place you haven't been to, okay? So keep standing, all you, you four-year-olds to, to fifth grade, keep standing until I name a place you haven't been to. How about Jefferson's uh, Monticello? Have you been there? All right, you can cheer if you have. That's good stuff. It's a fun place to go. We've been, our family went. That was one of the highlights uh, in our first few months here. We actually happened to go on a day they had the pipe and drum band and everything. It was his birthday. We got cake out of the deal. It was really nice. All right, how about uh, Monroe's Ashlawn Highland? If you've been there, keep standing. If you haven't, have a seat. So we lost a few. All right. How about Madison's Montpelier? You been to Madison's Montpelier? Keep standing if you have. If not, have a seat. All right. How about Jacob's Well? The Jacob's Well. Oh, that's everybody. That's a trick because that's not around here. <laughs> but, but we're going there today as we jump into uh, Scripture together. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John 4. If not, if you'll, you'll be able to follow along up here. But first, I want to talk about this guy, Jacob, um, who had a well or something like that. Um, and I want to introduce you to, to him before we go any further so you know who we're talking about. Uh-oh. We're going to have trouble with that, too. It might be that it's not on. Let's see. Oh, there we go. All right. Watch this, people. Give a big round of applause if it works. Ready? Yeah! <laughs> Woo! All right. You know, Pastor Pete's been doing this for a long time. I'm still kind of new at it. All right? So... Jacob. How many of you guys have heard this name before? Raise your hand. Have you heard the name Jacob? How many of you in the room actually have the name Jacob? A few of you. Good. Way to go. You guys are special. Well, we're talking about a specific Jacob that lived a long time ago. Um, Jacob was the son of Isaac, Isaac, the son of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Actually, Isaac and Ishmael. But Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob uh, had a well. We'll tell you more about Jacob before we go any further. He was the father of the 12 children. Now, this is really interesting to me. Jacob believed in big families, right? I mean, we have five kids, and I think that's a lot from time to time. Like, there are days I think that is, dare I say, too many. Just, just occasionally, moments of madness, all right? And then there are days it just feels like we need some more. Where are the other seven that, that Jacob had? Um, Twelve kids is a lot of kids. But God had a plan for Jacob. He, in fact, he, he wanted those kids to become leaders of tribes and an entire nation of people. In fact, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. 
when he wrestled with God for a blessing. So now you think, okay, so it's actually, he's got two names, Jacob and Israel. And now you're wondering, so when we read the Bible about the nation of Israel, we're reading about this guy's kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. and You got it. That's exactly right. He was blessed by God with favor and provision as he raised his families. He wrestled with God for this blessing. God blessed him. And, and he began to multiply, and his kids had kids, and those kids had kids, and those kids had, had kids, and it became a great nation. Later, many generations later, Jesus was born as a part of this nation, as a Jew. So now maybe you're, you're, you're getting the idea that why this guy Jacob might be important. Let's jump into the story uh, we're going to be in today from uh, John chapter 4. So starting in verse 1, read along with me if you want. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who, was ba- who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. All right, so we get some important details getting started this morning. In this story, in the Newer Testament, in John chapter 4, we have mention of an Older Testament guy, Jacob, and a well he had. Now, how many of you guys, when you read something like that, you, you immediately get, get curious? Okay, well, where was the well? What did the well look like? Um, was the well full of really good drinking water? Was it, was it big? Was it small? Was, how many of you guys are like that? You, like, when you hear something, you, you start to wonder. Maybe you try to see it in your mind. I'm kind of like that too. And when I get curious, I go looking for, for clues. So as I started looking at this idea of Jacob's well, I wondered, well, you know, what, what else can I learn? So I started digging around a little bit, and I found an obscure reference to this area that most scholars believe points to where Jacob's well was. It's actually near Shechem. And in Genesis chapter 33, verses 18 through 20, we hear a little bit about it. So if you want to turn there, you can, or it'll be up here. Let's read this together. Just a really short description about Jacob's well. After Jacob came from Padanaram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan. And he camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. God is mighty. There he set up a plan. So most scholars look at this and they think, what, what, what went on here is he found a good place to be. Um, he settled a place where his, his family could drink water and, and his flocks could all drink water, and he made that home. And then this is the same area of land that he ended up giving to his son Joseph that's referenced in this story. Isn't that cool how the, how the Older Testament and the Newer Testament kind of work together at times to give us some clues? Now, what's really interesting to me about that is what happens in this place. And, and we're not going to touch the story now, but you guys that are interested, especially you older guys who are interested, there's a story that follows this one in Genesis chapter 34 it's a, where a shameful thing happens to one of Jacob's daughters. And when the shameful thing happens, a war breaks out between Jacob's family and, and the people who live in the city. And it becomes a, a terrible, 
um, a terrible life-altering situation. It even brings death to many who lived in that city. Because a daughter of Jacob is mistreated, there comes death. Destruction and a people become enemies. Fast forward to the Newer Testament in John chapter 4. We're about to meet a woman who has experienced some shame of her own. And I don't think it was an accident that John gives us these details to set us up for this story. So keep that in your mind as we read ahead into John chapter 4. Starting in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, this doesn't make sense to most of us. Maybe when we read it, it's, it's not complicated. You want a drink, you ask somebody for a drink. You know, I'm not ashamed to ask anyone for a drink, really. Um, when I walk into a, a convenience store around here, I locate the fountain drinks, I go grab a cup, fill that dude up, take a drink, make sure it's not bad, replace what I just took from the set. I don't think that's illegal. I think it's okay. And then I go and I check out. You know, if, if I can't find it for some reason, I ask the, the clerk, hey, is there a drink? When I'm working hard at the house, and lately I have been, we've been doing some home renovation projects, and I've got my hands full, and I don't know what to do, but I'm thirsty, I say, honey, or I say, Claire, Reese, I don't usually say river, because, you know, he's busy with other things, but I say, can I get a drink? Can I get a drink? And a lot of times, most of the time, they're like, yes, Dad, we love you so much. We'll bring you a drink. They come running with drink in hand, and they hand it to me. That's a, that's, I'm not ashamed to do that. But there's something else going on here, right? So, so what is it? Well, there's some trouble between Jews and Samaritans. And, and there's really a lot of trouble, and it's layered. And I want to explain a little bit, to that, a little bit of that to you so, so this story makes sense. There's social trouble. Um, you know, these guys had a problem. And when they had the problem, things got awkward. Has it ever happened to you? And it changes the way social interactions happen? And not just a little bit, but over time, what happens to those interactions? Do they get better? No. They get, they get more and more awkward, right? Um, and there were some social problems between Jews and Samaritans. They wouldn't associate with each other. They wouldn't talk to each other. There were religious differences and troubles. You know, Jews uh, thought things should be done one way, with Jerusalem as the center, and then Samaritans felt differently. They thought other places were, were just as good as Jerusalem for worshiping God. And, and so they had arguments about what qualified as holy ground and what didn't and, and when you should worship and how you should worship. And does that sound anything like the church today? Well, yeah. So you don't have a hard time maybe understanding that or seeing that. There were religious issues between Jews and Samaritans. There were geographical issues. So as they talked about which places were holy and which places weren't, some areas were revered by Samaritans as holy ground. And for the Jews, not so much. In fact, they had kind of separated themselves into their own territories. Uh, Samaritans lived in one space. Jews lived in another space. And Jews went out of their way to avoid traveling through Samaria. They didn't want to. And they had financial trouble between them. You know, they, some believed that um, 
you know, the money that that's collected should belong here. Others believe it should go to the temple and it should help in some other ways. And so there were, there were problems there. And these are long-standing problems. As a result, there were generational issues. Um, you know, in Alabama, where we came from, there are generational issues as well. If you're raised in a house that says, Roll Tide, you cannot marry into a home that says War Eagle. It is strictly forbidden. Oh, you guys understand that around here, um, Virginia, Virginia Tech kind of have a thing, right? Oh, we don't like those guys, right? Oh, well, I'm sorry. Are any of those guys present? Yeah, sorry. Okay, but you understand a little bit how this works? I, I, I didn't understand when we moved to Alabama how it could really affect one's relationship. And oh, man, it's at a very unhealthy place there. I promise you. Um, that gets close to what this Jew and Samaritan. But when you consider all these factors, the social problems, the religious problems, the geographical problems, the financial problems, the generational problems, is it any wonder that this woman wonders, why are you talking to me? There are so many reasons Jesus shouldn't talk to her. Yet he does. And it puzzles her. And so she wants to know more. This feels a little bit like our political climate today. There are lines drawn People are in two camps, and they shout at one another. They distance themselves. They just avoid relationship. Now, maybe you understand a little bit about what's going on. But Jesus crosses the aisle. He, he enters in to Samaria, and he starts a conversation with the, one, with the person no one would ever expect Jesus to talk to. Let's read on. In John chapter 4, verses 10, we pick up the rest of the story. So Jesus answered this woman, if you know the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And she asks a good question. She's been told stories all her life about Jacob. You know, the, Israel, the, the, the father of, of their nation. And he gave them this well. They might even have a, a, a sign somewhere that says Jacob's well, and they revere it. And Jesus comes saying, I can give you better water than he can. And she's like, wait a second. Are you really, the, are you really greater than him? And this reminds me of Sports Talk Radio. I'm an avid listener. When we moved in here, and I, actually before we even moved here, when I was here like house hunting, I was trying to find the right stations. And so I was buzzing around, and I started to listen in and, and hear all the talk. And sports talk radio is consumed with this question, right? Is LeBron James really greater than Michael Jordan? And in this room, we could start a fierce debate about that, right? Some of you are like, no way, never, it's impossible. And others are like, well, yeah, it's pretty clear. I mean, statistically, he's better in this way, he's better in this way, he's better in this way. And you know, we could have that debate. And then some of you would say, you're asking the wrong question, Right? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the best that ever played. We just started throwing in other names. This heated debate could happen. It's a part of the human condition. We want to know who the greatest is. We want to know what the greatest is. When we got started here, you guys threw a reception for us, and, and you had a chance to fill out your favorites. Favorite restaurant. Favorite place to visit. Favorite day trip for a family. Favorite museum. Favorite library. All those things. You got to fill those out. And, and we're curious about that. It's a part of who we are. It's what we want to know. You know, and Jacob is great. 
But there's one standing in her midst who's even greater. What's surprising a little bit to me is that Jesus is not just like, uh, yes. I mean, her question is easy enough to answer, right? Are you greater than Jacob? Yep, yep, I am. As a matter of fact, let's just, you don't even have to finish the question. Yes. And that's absolutely true. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. Instead, he does something that answers the question and proves to all of us just how great Jesus is. You can be honest in this room. Do you ever feel like you forget that? That Jesus is really great. I mean, not just like great in a way that you, you, you read something and you think, wow, that is amazing. He did that. But really great in a way that, that gets you fired up inside. And you think, wow, Jesus is great. I hope the rest of the story convicts you of that truth as we continue to read. The time has come. Let's read on. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. No, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, "I, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This phrase repeats a couple times in this passage, and I think it's there to keep us centered on, on what's most important to Jesus in this moment. Jesus is at a historical place. Jacob's well. Like Jefferson's Monticello, like Ashland Highland, but, but a place that was really a, a center of a community for centuries where they drew water watered their flocks watered their their homes and and where life was sustained for them a really important historical place and Jesus shows up to say the time is now something is changing right here right now he talks about living water but he talks about it as if something's changing something new is happening he says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, for this, for this woman and for the, Samaritan, I mean, for the um, Samaritan people, religion had crept in on relationship. Instead of God being the center of their life, their religion had become it. And it was all about where they were worshiping and this fierce debate with the Jews. And this happens to the church today. Too. It happens to us, right? 
we start thinking about how we worship or where we worship or who we worship with, right? And that becomes more important to us than the one we worship. Now that happened for the Samaritans. It happened for the Jews. And Jesus says, the time has come for a shift, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And he calls her to worship in spirit and truth. And he says, these are the true worshipers. These are the ones that will walk as my father has, has always wanted them to, in spirit and in truth. Because Jesus has an announcement to make. I am he, and this is one of my favorite moments. But think about what's happening. He's at a historical place, but he's with someone he's not supposed to be talking to. And he chooses this moment to make this bold declaration. You know, today, in our political world, if you have an announcement like this, you gather people in an auditorium like this, or actually, you'd go to like the mall in Washington, you'd line everybody up, you'd say, come on, I've got an announcement to make, you'd get everybody there, and then you'd declare this to as many people as you could, now, the time has come. I'm the Messiah. But Jesus, Jesus shares this truth with a daughter of Jacob who has been shamefully treated. What's he doing? What's he after? Well, he's after more than we might suppose. In fact, as you've read this story, you've probably called it what most people call it. All right? John chapter 4. Oh, that's where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Woman at the well. That's what we call it, right? Do you understand there's so much more going on in this story than Jesus and one woman? And it starts to change right here as we read on. Check this out. Pick up the reading in verse 27. Just then, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Well, don't you have a saying, it's still, um, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, the daughter of Jacob, the woman who had been treated so shamefully, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. 
When the Savior of the world comes to town, everything changes. When the Savior of the world comes to town, everything changes. See, when Jesus came to Jacob's well, he was about more than one life transformation. And that's no different today. See, the temptation in in churches in America is to try to narrow in so intentionally on one person and, and, and talk about what you need and what would help you know Jesus better. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus modeled it for us. He chose one person to start this conversation. But he was never content to let her carry her wooden bucket from that well full. He had a bigger vessel in mind. And he filled her so full of good news that she couldn't keep it to herself. She's like, I'm going back to town. I have to tell people. She couldn't help it. And God still works that way today. At least that's his, that's his heart. That's the way he wants things to work. People, that's why we have life groups. That's what life groups are about. We're called City Church for a reason, right? You know, in our mission statement, we talk about radically and practically loving the city of Charlottesville. Well, you know what that looks like? It looks like this. And the good news for everyone in this room is that God wants you to know his son. Jesus wants to be known by you as the savior of the world. He wants to save you in every way. But he also wants to fill you so full of his spirit that you can't keep that to yourself. And you have to go share it to your neighbor, to the the other soccer mom sitting on the bleacher next to you, to your, your kids' teachers at school, to share that in a way that it just can't be contained. Peter calls it a glorious and inexpressible joy. And I love that. A glorious and inexpressible joy. It reminds me of a a moment in my life when I was in college. So I I just finished my sophomore year, and I was a part of a, I had been invited to do a youth ministry, a student ministry internship. At first I was like, no, like I'm not like a ministry major, man. I can't do that. And my friend said, I think you can. I, just interview and see what happens. And so I was like, all right, okay, I will. So I interviewed, and the guy said, yeah, I want you to come. So I went, and I, I worked with him in Dallas, the Dallas area for the summer. Well, he had on, on the schedule that summer a trip to Mexico, actually to a place called Monterey, Mexico, um, where we would be building churches. I still have some of the scars on my arms from, from that work that weekend, or that week. We worked hard that week. I mean, it was hot. We were pouring concrete, and not like... A truck backed up, but like, let's mix that stuff. Let's pour it in buckets. Let's hand it to each other. And man, this concrete's heavy. And we're just trying to pour it all in where, everywhere it should be. So we're building this church. And I remember the joy that came out of that. It was like, we were building a place where people would worship for this community so they could come to it like Jacob's well. And they could be sustained by this, this life-giving water that flows from this place. So we were all excited about it. And I remember, I remember getting to the end of that Week and I was just, I didn't know how it could be any better. And then the youth minister I was interning with, he, he turned to me and he said, hey man, I, tomorrow morning for our last devotional, before we get on the buses and we drive back, I want you to offer the, the devotional thoughts. And I was like, man, I, I was just here to like build a church, man. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you'll figure it out. I was like, okay. 
So um, I put my head on my pillow that night, like, oh, Lord, please, please give me some ideas. I'd open my eyes. There was nothing. So I closed my eyes again. Lord, please open my eyes, nothing. The next time I closed my eyes, I didn't open them until the alarm clock went off that morning. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? I'd set it early so I could get out before anybody else. And I sat down at um, the Hotel Ochenta Ocho, which is the Hotel 88. I'll never forget it. I sat there um, in the parking lot while everybody else was still asleep. And I said, Lord, show me something, Lord. Give me something, something I can share. And he took me to a passage in, in First Chronicles. chapter. You know, it was one of those flip times. Have you ever done that? Where you're like, I don't know what to read, Lord. Just guide me somewhere. And I flipped it. And it, it dropped in First, First Chronicles chapter 29. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> There's nothing good in First Chronicles 29. <laughs> this is going to be bad. I started to read, and it was amazing. It was a prayer. David was praying as he had called all the people of Israel to give generously to build the temple for God, to build a place where people could worship God. And we'd just been living this week, building a church where people could worship God. And I was like, whoa, wow. That's awesome. And then it gets to the end of David's prayer. You know what he says? Who, are, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything we have comes from your hands, and we're just giving it back to you. And I was like, oh, God, that's it. And you know how I felt in that moment? I felt like that devotional could not start soon enough. Like I had something to share. I needed to tell people the good news I had found. That Look, David did this, and this is how he felt, and this is what he prayed, and we should keep praying this. And, and I don't know how that went. It probably didn't come out as, as, as collected as, as I wanted it to, but I have no doubt there was a joy inside me that morning that was evident. Brothers and sisters, that's God's will for you, for all of us, not just for those who say reluctantly, okay, I'll... I'll be a youth intern for the summer for every single one of us. It starts with a heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus where you're convinced to your very core you're the Savior of the world. But it doesn't stop there. It can't stop there because the whole world needs to know. And you have an errand then. You know, I love this reality. I want this to sink in for you. She left her water jar at the well. And she went back to town full of good news. She didn't get what she came for. She got more. And when she went back to that town, she was no longer just that shameful woman. From here on, for the rest of her life, she was the one who brought them the Messiah. That's the kind of water I want to carry. That's the kind of gift I want to bring. Life in the Spirit, that's the, the title of our sermon series we're in the middle of right now. And life in the Spirit is an important thing to, to wrestle with and try to grab hold of. Life in the Spirit begins in an encounter with Jesus, and it wells up for eternal life, transforming lives and communities. Start thinking about this town, this well, these Samaritans. You start thinking about this city, um, these statues, this summer. What does God want to do with you?
what does God want to do with City Church? I think it looks a lot like this. And life in the Spirit transforms individuals who transform communities. That's what life's about, life in the Spirit. We should add that. They're not life groups. They're life in the Spirit groups. Was leaving the Spirit in really, really small print. And I want to challenge you with this. I'm convinced everybody in this room needs Jesus. And I want you to know what that looks like. River needed shoes the other day. I mean, not just a little bit. You know, it was like they, you could see the individual toes poking out at the end. Like they were just kind of bulging through the, the fabric. And uh, River, are, is he interested in coming up? No. All right, that's fine. All right. Um, so, so River went to the store with uh, Martha and with Reese. I was working. I remember they called me. I love shoe shopping. It's like my favorite thing. It makes me less manly, I know. But I don't care, especially running shoes. I love shoe, running shoes. And so they went to the store without me while I was working on this message. And I tried to FaceTime them so I could see what was going on. And um, I kind of looked in on the situation. And River got some new shoes, some new blue tennis shoes. And when River put those shoes on, those new shoes, that, that thing he needed more than anything, he, you know, he'd been, been really roughing it through the, the, these shoes that were kind of falling apart for him. Um, he really needed these new shoes. Once he got those shoes, what do you think he did with them on? Like one of the first things he did, even in the store, what did he do with them? Run. You had to run. That's a rule for the Rogers. We don't walk out of that store with shoes on. We hadn't tested them yet. And we're running up and down the aisles. Yeah, we're that family, okay? So we're like running up and down and testing them out. So what, and they, I'm sure the conversation went just the same. How do they feel? What do they look like? This morning, it gave me great joy. I got here early, getting ready for things. And I walked out to see if I could find Martha and the kids. And I, the older ones I saw first. But I was like, where's River? Um, that she had taken... Emory back to, to be in with the other kids, but River got to be in here today, so we've, we caught up with him back there in the, the area between the hallway and the gyms. River saw me, and I said, River, and what did he do? He ran to me with his new shoes on. I mean, just flying, arms pumping. Here I come, and I got to pick him up and hold him. Oh, man, that's good stuff, right? That's holy. It's good. God doesn't just want to give you new shoes. He doesn't just want to give you good news. He also wants to fill you so full of good news that you can't stand still any longer. You got to run with it. You got to go. All right? Um, my prayer for you today is that you know right where you are. I'm about to get some worship going here. and I, uh, I want you to think about two things. While, while you're getting your heart ready to worship in this next song. That is where you are. Do you need a Jacob's Well experience with Jesus? Do you need him just to sit down with you right now? Do you need to come to, to grips with this reality that he really is the Savior of the world? Does that need to hit home? There's no better place to do that than right here. He's present. He's ready. And if you want that, cry out to him for it and see that he doesn't... Uh, See how he provides. That's number one. 
But that's not all God desires for us. He also wants you to walk that out. He wants you to live with joy, and he wants you to share it. So the next question I want you to ask yourself is if you're one of these people, it might be that you just need to need to think about how to carry good news, what that looks like. Who needs to hear? Maybe you feel like um, you're not in a position to, to preach for Jesus. Maybe you don't feel like you're in a position to share good news. But neither was this woman. I mean, she was in no kind of shape to do that. But God chose her, and he filled her full of a glorious and inexpressible joy, and she shared it. So as we sing this next song, I want you to stand with me for a minute. I want to pray. Father, we want to invite your spirit again into this place to fall afresh, to fall powerfully, Lord, to convict us of right where we stand and what we need. Father, we pray for life to the fullest. We pray that we'd worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that you'd fill us with the living water we can't keep to ourselves. Father, do with us what needs to be done as we sing this next song together. Lord, we ask you to come in Jesus' name. The life you give, your body was broken, your love poured out, you bled and you died for me there on the cross. You breathed your last as you were crucified.
Praise God. And I hope today you've encountered him and that you're filled with that joy we talked about so you can live that life he's imagined for you and created you for. There's a prayer that um, Paul prays for the Ephesians in in Ephesians chapter 3 that I want to bless you with. Instead of the the standard typical blessing that we offer, I want to offer this one. Um, So I invite you to close your eyes and receive this blessing. As we go today, Lord, we pray that you would fill us full of all we need for you. Now to you, Lord, who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Please hang around and worship if you need to. If it's time for you to go, then leave with the Spirit and live for Him.
We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence, to worship you. Let's call this in Jesus' name. Amen.